0: So, we just sang about giving, we just gave, so I'm going to ask you to pull out your wallet again. No, I'm serious, pull out your wallet, take your purse, and uh, just, just kind of look at it a little bit, and you know, this is kind of true my fair form, I've got more white receipts than I do green stuff, Just <laughs> kind of how it goes. Um, and I want to ask you a question about this. I want to ask you a question. Are you honoring God with your money? And how do you know? How do you know if you're honoring God with your money this morning? That's the question. And it's the question because it it fits with this last defining question that we're wrestling with here as a church. These defining questions about what we're about. What are we supposed to be doing here at Door Creek? That's our mission Our mission is changing people into devoted followers of Christ who change the world with his love. Changing lives to change the world. Remember that short expression? Let's say the short one together. Changing lives to change the world. That's what we're supposed to be doing here as we follow Christ's commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, the second defining question was, what are we committed to? Now, the Eagle Tower reminds us of those crisscrossing kind of guidelines, guide wires that kind of held this tower in place. So, too, are values. What are we committed to? There are seven values. A life of worship, worshiping God in all of life. The Bible's authority, centering our lives on God's truth. The richness of community, growing together in Christ. Joyful witness, sharing and living the good news, compassionate service, humbly extending his compassion to those in need. There's intentional training, preparing and releasing you, God's people, for ministry, and then persistent prayer, devoting ourselves to pray continually. this is what we're committed to. And we got up on the second week to the top of the tower. We looked out in the future, and we wrestled with the question, where are we going? And we talked about, we, we dream of being a church where lives are changing, and as those lives are changing, they're changing the world. And what we dream about is a church that's worshiping God in all of life, with all of our hearts, of growing together in Christ, of serving others with His love, and of reaching those who don't know Jesus. And as that continues to happen in our future, it's not just us, but others who are joining us to that end. Now, some of you didn't hear that message two weeks ago. It's so important for the leadership that we've made that CD available. It's for free. I want you to pick it up, and I want you to listen to it. And the reason we want you to listen to it is not just to hear it, but to then just continue to say to God, God, what's my part? What do you want me to do in this place and and your plans for the future of this place? And we look forward to... To hearing you respond as others have already responded and say, you know, this is what God's laying on my heart. Send me an email. Send us an email, a voicemail, a note. Talk to us in the hallways and say, here's where God's stirring my heart as we think about what he's asking us to do as together we're changing lives to change the world. And then last week we got in this whole matter of the fourth and final question. Where, how are we going to get there? And we said last week we're going to get there by... Serving others in love with our gifts. And so let me just say, we had a great response to the ministry fair, the Serve Ministry Fair last week. A lot of you expressed a, a desire to want to plug in. You filled out those surveys, and they're still out there. Together we serve if you still don't know where to plug in. Many of you went back in the activity center, and you've signed up. Wayne tells me it's the best start he's had on summer serve for our children's ministries. That's great. That's great. That's the first part of how we're going to get there. The second part is what we're going to talk about right now, honoring God with our money, cheerfully giving back to God and his work to others as we together follow his great commandment to go and make disciples of all nations. So before we get into this whole matter of how we honor God with our money, I want you to have a better understanding of how we spend money here. Where does the offering go when we collect it? I want you to know how we receive these monies, where it comes from. I want you to know a little bit where we're at right now and what the opportunities are. So the first question is, uh, where does it go? Where's our money go? Personnel, 55%. Operations, 16%. Facilities, 11%. Outreach is 10%. Ministries is 8%. And then we've got something called benevolence. And that's just a, a cash flow account. Whatever comes in from God's people here. It goes out to meet the needs of people in our church family and those in our community. And that's thousands of dollars a year. That's how our 1.5 roughly million dollar budget breaks down into those categories. Now you ask, well, where do we get it from? Some of you think, do we get any from the federal government? No, the, the answer is we get nothing from the federal government. Some of you think, well, are we at all connected with the Wisconsin State Lottery? The answer to that is Zippo, nothing from there, okay? So some of you are thinking, um, we're, we're kind of like doing stuff out in our communities. Maybe we're tied into United Way. Anything from United Way? Not a, no, nothing from that. And some of you go, wow, Bill Gates, he's got a lot of money. I heard he's got a foundation. Have we been writing grants to, to help fund our budget here? And the answer is a big goose egg. No, nothing from him either. So where does it come from? 100% of it comes from us right here. Okay, that's where it comes from. So how are we doing? Well, let me just say this. How we're doing is, number one, we're under budget in terms of our giving. We're about, it says 56 on the slide. If you look in your bulletins, it says about 60,000 short of, of our budget. We haven't spent more than we've taken in, but we're close to it. Now, when you look at that number about 60000 now under budget. If you think about the three remaining months that we have in this fiscal year, because our year ends August 31st, so if you think of June, July, and August, it takes about $127,000 a month if you divide our budget by 12. So you take that shortfall of 60 and add it to the 127. We need roughly about one hundred forty-five, $147,000 in the next three months to end the year making budget. And I don't think it's a stretch for us to do that. We're going to do that with God's help as we respond to the needs before us. Now, the building fund, we're still $3.1 million in debt. Of that 3.1, 600000 has already been pledged, committed towards getting that debt down. Now, here's what I want to talk to you that gets me excited as I think about the opportunities. The opportunities that we have in the days ahead. Let me first tell you what the median household income is for a person living in Dane County. That's most of us here, $61,000. That's the median household income. That means 50% are below that number, 50% are above that number. Now what I want you to do is know that there are 1,100 units in our directory. What's a unit? Well, Lori and I and the five kids, we're a unit. If you're here as a single person, you're a unit. You get the picture? So 1,100 units in our direct. If you take the 1,100 and divide it into our 1.5, roughly $1.5 million budget, it comes out to about $1,400 a year or about $26 a week. My goodness, some of us are drinking that in lattes every week. That's not a lot of money, $26 a week to fund our budget. Now, this is where I start getting excited. Now, let's just say that next three years we're going to increase the budget by 10% because we've got an aggressive vision. So we're going to go after it. We're going to raise our general budget 10% the next three years, every year. That means we go from 1.5 to roughly about $2.0 million in three years. Now, we're also committed to erasing that debt. Let's also say we're going to add to that commitment of an increase of 10% in our general, a commitment to every year give a million dollars to pay off this building. So you add those two numbers together, and here's what you need a week to have that happen. And now we're assuming just 1,000 giving units, not 1,100. You need $50 in year one. You need $54 in year two. You need $57 in year three. And you know what that $50 represents? About 5% of Dane County's median household income. You know what those numbers tell me? Tells me we've got a lot of potential here to get after what God's calling us to in this place. So I'm really excited about the opportunities that lie ahead for us. So the question of the day, though, is how do you know if you are honoring God with your wealth? I want to give you four principles from God's word that I think will really help you objectify your answer. So you don't go, I think I am, but you can say, well, I know here's where I'm at because of these principles that we're just learning here from God's word. So open your Bibles. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. We'll look at verses 9 and 10. Proverbs is right about the middle of your Bible, okay? You'll find on page 451 if you're using the Bible in the chair rack in front of you. You'll understand the question this morning when you hear what this verse says. Because verse 9 starts with this. Honor the Lord... With your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now here's the first principle. You know you're honoring God with your wealth when you know it all belongs to him. Okay, that's the starting point. You understand that everything you have belongs to him. It's on loan to you. You're a steward, a money manager, so to speak, of all that you have. Pro, uh, Psalms 24, verse 1, says this very thing. The writer says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, we belong to God. Everything in this world belongs to God. And you might say, well, you know, I, there's a lot of stuff that belongs to me that that I bought. Well, listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy 8. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So even your ability to earn a living, to buy the things that are right now in your garage or your house or your apartment, it's all from him. This last week, Luke came to me and he said, Dad, I got this new soccer ball. I want to get my name on it. So if it's lost, you know, people know it belongs to me. Can you help me find something where my name will stick? Because he kept writing it with something, and it wouldn't stay on. It kept rubbing off. I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about all the stuff that we have. Look at this slide. All the stuff in our life, the toys, you know, the, the houses, the relationship, our kids, our spouses, our, our family, you know, the all-important power nail gun there at the top center, you know, all these things. And, and now it's time to, to write. What are we going to write on it? This property belongs to what? Are we going to put Mark Myfair over everything? Your name over everything? Is it me? Or does it belong to God? It all belongs to God. That's the teaching in Scripture. And you know you're honoring God when you understand that, that it all belongs to Him. There's a guy who said there isn't a square inch of your life where God doesn't say, that belongs to me, mine not like a spoiled kid who doesn't want to share, but as a loving father who reminds us that every good and great thing that we've ever gotten is from His good hand. So you ask the question, do I understand that everything I have belongs to Him? And have I, in the attitude of my own mind, written, this belongs to God, this belongs to God over all the things that He's given me? Here's the second principle. You know you're honoring God with your wealth when you give, when you trust God in giving your first and best. That's what verse 9 is talking about. Do you see it? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now that word first fruits, it's a word that's used 20 plus times in the Old Testament. And it's a reference back to a command that God gave way back in Exodus when he said to God's people, hey, I want you to bring in the first fruits of your crops into the storehouse. It was giving to God in his work. Specifically, it was giving to the work of the priests and the Levites. Remember, these are the people who didn't get any land. And so they needed the produce from their brothers and sisters who had farmland. So it helped take care of the priests and the Levites as they served there in the tabernacle. It also helped to take care of the nation of God as they feasted together. And it was from the produce that came in from these first fruits offerings that they had that. Out of that first fruit offering, they'd give to the poor. They'd give to the refugees who were there. And when they gave their first and their best, it wasn't the leftovers. It was just that. It was the best. Right off the top from the very beginning. So you read this in Exodus 23, verse 19. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. And when they did that, they were trusting God for what wasn't guaranteed to them? You know, the first fruits meant that this is the beginning of the harvest. It wasn't the complete harvest. And the command was to give from that first fruits, the best of it, back to God in His work. The deal was, you didn't know if you were going to get it all in, if a hailstorm was going to wipe it out, if a wildfire was going to run through and wipe it out. But you gave in faith, trusting that God would take care of your future even as you've seen him take care of this day today. So it's a matter of faith and trust as you give your first fruits to God. Now, we're not farmers gathered here today. I don't think too many of us are anyways. So how does this relate to us? Well, it relates to us as we think about this next week, and it's the end of the month, which means there's a pile of bills, right? Right? Don't you hate that about the mail? I mean, every day there's another bill. And so it's the beginning of the, of the month, and we've got bills to pay. First Fruits Giving does not work like this I pay all my bills, and then I say, Hey, Lord, I got a little left here. Or, Man, sorry. You know, I didn't know the water pump was going to go out. And there is another unexpected bill, and so I don't have any. No. First Fruits Giving principle means the first thing we do as we start to give our commitments financially, is to give back to the Lord our first and our best. Now, the deal is, we've got things like our student loan. We've got things like the reality of, I don't have a job right now. We've got the reality of, there's some major illnesses going on in our family. And it's it's just got a huge financial drain. Or, you know, we've got two girls in college right now. You know All these things, what they're doing is they're shouting at us and they're saying, you can't afford to do this. I mean, think about it. This guy up there is telling you you need to start giving to the Lord. Well, just think about the last eight months of your life. You haven't been able to make your commitments yet. So how in the world do you think you're going to make your commitments going forward by giving now stuff that you haven't been giving le- before? And the answer is, trust God. Trust God and see As you give your first and best, he has an uncanny way of being faithful time after time and surprising you and doing what just humanly doesn't make sense, that I'm giving more away and yet God's giving me the ability to take care of my commitments in ways I didn't imagine. Didn't imagine it. I met a guy this week at the house. His name is Alex. He was working on some some plaster work, some taping work downstairs in the basement, and uh, the Lord was nudging me. On Thursday, He said, "You need to talk to Alex." And I'm saying, "Lord, I gotta get a message together. You need to talk to Alex." Next thing I know, Alex turns on the radio and he's got some Christian tunes on. Oh, that's interesting. So I say to Alex, just kind of offhand, "Hey, that's nice music." He says, "Yeah, it's Christian music." I, mean, I, I knew that, but yeah. <laughs> I said, "Are you a follower of Christ?" He says, yeah, I am. I said, tell me your story. He said, well, two years ago, I hit rock bottom. My girlfriend left me. I I was just so down. I was depressed. And I, I found Jesus. I started following Jesus. And he didn't know what sermon I was working on, what message I was preparing. And then he started telling me later, you know, early on in my Christian life, I heard some teaching about the importance of disciplining yourself to give back to God and his work. And when I heard that, Mark, they they, they challenged us to give 10%. And I, my immediate thought was, I don't have a business that's bringing in any money. And this idea of trusting people is hard for me. And so trusting with my money was even harder. But I, I I just thought, that's what God's asking me to do. So I started doing it. He said, here's what I can tell you. Ever since that day, my phone hasn't stopped ringing. I've got more work than I've ever had or can ever do right now. God's faithfully taken care of me. This whole matter of first fruits giving is something that um, we want to help you with. And there's a couple of tools that might be just the right thing for you. This brochure here that says first fruits giving, this brochure here helps you do what a lot of us are already doing with our bills, setting up an electronic withdrawal where you take your commitment to this place and you say, well, this is what I want to do. And You can do it on a monthly basis or you can do it twice a month. And if this is something that can help you move towards regular giving, then use this. That's great. A lot of us use an envelope. And if you're uh, a member of the church, you get these. And some of you aren't a member yet, but you're regularly part of this place and you don't have just go to the resource desk and sign up and say, I'd like that. Because, you know, if I have this envelope, I'll just put it on my stack and I'll remember it. And it'll help you in your discipline of grace giving. Now, this whole mention of first fruits giving just flows from a grateful heart. That's why we give our first and best, because we are worshiping a God who gave his first and best. Primarily, we're talking about his son, Jesus Christ. And because we've received God's first and best, it just catapults us to be people who want to do the same. So it flows from a grateful heart. In fact, Paul talks about this grateful heart in 2 Corinthians. Look at it on the screen, chapter 9, verse 7. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And when we move to that point of cheerfully giving, all of a sudden we're saying to ourselves, hey, this isn't about duty anymore. This isn't about drudgery anymore. This is my delight. It's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. Actually, I want to do it. I'm so grateful for all that God has done t- for me. I want to give back, and as an expression of my thanks, I want to give back, as an expression also of my sacrifice, because it does flow not just from a grateful heart, but it flows from a sacrificial heart. Well, let's talk about this then. Are you giving your first and best to God in faith, or is it a little bit like it's at the bottom of the pile? You know, when God's first in our life, he's first in our hearts. When he's first in our hearts, you open up your checkbook, you open up your your window for your online banking, and it actually shows up. You can see it. In the ledger of our expenses, you can see it, and where it falls in the stack. Up at the top, down at the bottom. Well, the third principle here is you know you're honoring God when you give generously to God and others. See, generosity describes God's giving and it's to describe our giving as well. Psalm 37 says this, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be Refreshed. You ever been refreshed by someone else's generosity? Well, I have. I, I remember the time where our friends, um, the wife was talking to Lori. We were getting ready to go on our, our family reunion track out to Colorado. And, and she says to Lori, well, how are you going to get there? And Lori says, well, we're driving. Well, she says, what car are you going to take? Well, we're going to take the, the Sabre. And, and the, the slaver was kind of getting on in years, if you know what I mean didn't have air conditioning anymore. And on all appearances, it didn't look like it was going to make the trip. And so she said, well, why don't you take our car? I'll drive your car. So Lori agreed, and we agreed. And, you know, it's always humbling to do that. And so we picked up the car and as we're driving out of the driveway, I saw that there was something tucked in under the visor. So I pulled it out, I gave it to Lori. She opened up, there was a note just wishing us a great vacation and there was $200 of cash. We hadn't even taken our vacation yet, but I just felt like I'd been on two-week vacation because their generosity was refreshing. And your generosity as you give to others brings refreshment to them, and then it boomerangs right back. It's so good to be able to mimic our great God who continues to give generously to us. And that generous uh, giving flows not just from that grateful heart, but it flows from sacrifice because the generous gift that we've received in Christ came at a price, the price of His own life. And sacrifice marks our life as well. And here's how it works when you find yourself being a generous, sacrificial giver the, the questions all change. Some of you are going, All right, it's the money talk. Pastor, just tell me, what am I supposed to give? That's not the question for someone who's a generous, sacrificial giver. They're going like this. How much do I need to live on so I can give the rest away? The other person is saying, all right, what do I need to give so, you know, I can have all the rest myself. The person who's a sacrificial giver, when they get a pay raise, they, they're not thinking about how can I now increase my standard of living? They're thinking about, hey, how can I increase my standard of giving? God's given me more it's a complete construct change now this whole matter of giving generously it begins with giving back to God it's the principle that we see in the Old Testament we see it in the New Testament as well so we give back to God and his work the other category that we want to think about is giving to others three kinds of people to think about first your family Here's what the scripture says about giving generously to your family. 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's the first category. We give generously to family. The second is we give generously to needy Christians. That's exactly what's going on in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. When Paul's going around, he's collecting an offering and he says, I, I, I'm going to collect this offering so I can take it back to Jerusalem where there's been this big famine. And your money is going to help meet the needs of these people who've been decimated by the famine. Okay? Then there's a, and he talks about it in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Then there's a third category. And here's the category of the poor. And the scriptures say a lot about the poor. And it says one specific thing about our disposition towards the poor. It's to be one of Kindness. That ought to be our our disposition to anyone who is poor. So we read in Proverbs 19, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he the Lord will reward him for what he's done. We read this in Proverbs 14, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker for God, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor, Proverbs 22. And here's another one from Proverbs 29, not on the screen. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. And what I want you to know is when you give your money here week after week in the offering, your money is going to the poor. It's going to the poor of our community. These are all ministries that we're tied into here that's going out to meet the needs of people in need right here in our own community. And every year, this year, we're going to give over 35000 over $36,000. And then you think about the generous giving that goes out to our international partners and all the people that they're reaching, like our sister church in Sampongo, Guatemala, and El Rajon, this new village that we've adopted. And when you go visit El Rajon, all of us are going to come back and say, we are amazingly rich. And you add that 105 to the 36, and that means that about 141,000 dollars of our giving goes out, and that's not counting some of the special offerings that we do around Christmas and Thanksgiving to God and reach others. And we know we want that to grow that number. Here's a the, here's the number I heard this week. I read: Eighty percent of the wealth of God's church is right here in North America. 80 percent. We spend about 3% of what we get in on people that live outside of North America. We have 80% of the resources and we spend 2% of it outside of ourselves. We want to get better at that here in this place as we commit ourselves to changing lives to change the world. But you need to know that about your giving in this place. Here's the fourth principle. Uh, Let me ask a question before I get to that. What adverb best describes your giving? Reluctantly? I made one up. Stingily? Happily? Faithfully? Sacrificially? Generously? What word best describes your giving? I don't know. You know it. The question is, do we give generously to God and others? Here's the fourth principle. You know you're honoring God with your wealth when you love God more than money. Jesus said this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, food, shelter, clothing, all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You love the one and hate the other. And some of us are going, but I I think I can do it. Jesus says, you can't do it. You can't love both. So the question is, how do you know right now today that you love God more than money? I think the Bible gives an easy answer to this. It says, are you content with what God has given you? Are you content? Here's what Paul writes in 1 Timothy verse, chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know you love God more than money if you find yourself content with what you have. And it gets real personal for me. I think it just gets down to our two cars, Big Blue and Little Blue. <laughs> Big Blue is a 1991 Suburban. You know, some of you see me opening the door for Lori, and you go, man, it's just an honorable gentleman, that new pastor of ours. What you don't know is the door handle's broke on the inside. She can't get out. <laughs> Big Blue, you know, he's getting up in years, and I just don't want to replace that handle. It's been four handles now I've replaced. Um... It's getting up on years. Then there's little blue, baby blue. That's that's the Volvo, the ninety I think that one's the ninety eight Volvo. It's making lots of noises. My philosophy on car noises is just turn up the radio. <laughs> but the dashboard lights aren't helping, you know, the, the check engine, the service, and all that stuff. And you know, the two cars are great. But it's an area in my life where I sometimes go, oh, i would be really nice to have a new car. It'd be really nice to have a new car. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a new house. Maybe it's a nicer wardrobe. Maybe you want a better job with more money. I don't know. But here's the rub. When I'm not content with what God's given me, you know what I'm saying to God? God, you're not enough. I need something more. And I believe that when I get that something more, I'll find satisfaction. And all of a sudden we realize whoa, God's not enough in my life anymore. I love things more than I love him. You know about the danger of loving things more than God? That's where he goes next in the same passage. Paul goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So the question is, Do you love God more than money? The question is, do you want riches today? The question is, are you content with what God has given you? All right, so those are the four principles. But let's go back to verse 10. Because now we want to say, well, what happens when we do honor God with our wealth? With the first fruits of our crops? Well, look at verse 10. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. you picture it? It's like the granary on County Road N. There was so much corn in the harvest that I could see it spilling out of the doorways. You see, that's what's going to happen. And, and all the grapes that you're crushing into wine, it's just, your vats won't hold it. It's just going to be flowing over. What is that a picture of? Of abundance. That's what it's a picture of. Now, there's two dangers to avoid. The first is to do what's so often done today, especially on television, by these uh, people who are teaching, preaching. It's what I call this name-it-and-claim-it mentality, this idea of health and wealth, that God wants me to be happy, He wants me to be holy, and He wants me to be wealthy. You know, Actually. God wants us to be holy. That's what he wants us to be. And sometimes to get us there, he takes away our health. And sometimes to take us there, he takes away our happiness. Not our joy, but our happiness, our circumstantial happiness. And sometimes he takes away our wealth that we would become more like him and his son. And so the danger here is to turn this into some kind of a magic formula. I do this for God and wow, it's just like, boom, I get rich quick. This is awesome. I love this. It's not that at all. That's one danger to avoid. Now, the other is a reaction to that where it says, hey, 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 hey. Now, this whole talk about barns and vats, that's just talking about spiritual blessing. God, don't, God's not going to do that. He's just going to bless you spiritually, not materially or physically. And one of the dangers to avoid here in taking a Proverbs like this especially done by the health and wealth people. And really, the health and wealth gospel, you know what that is? It's taking the promises of heaven and pulling them all down today and say, you get this now. And God says, no, you don't get it now. Jesus says, you get the cross now. You get the crown later in heaven. And the danger is you take this proverb, like verse 10, and you say, that's a promise from God. For me, it's always true for all people, no matter where I am in life. And that is not how Proverbs work. They are principles that are generally true for God's people. So, honoring the Lord with our wealth means that there's going to be some godly people. I'm thinking of many of our brothers and sisters who live in the country of Sudan. Godly people who are poor, their barns and their crops have been burned, they've lost loved ones. And yet they've honored God with their wealth. Yet, Nonetheless, we do see a connection here in the scriptures between godliness and God's blessing, between obedience and blessing. That's always been true. You see it in a verse like Malachi 3.10 where God speaks here and he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's like that first fruits offering that we were talking about in Exodus 23. Bring all of it into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Try me. Experiment on this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. what you can expect from God. You can't demand it. You can expect that he's going to bring blessing into your life, spiritual and material, as you grow in being a generous, cheerful giver back to God and others of all that he's given you. So the first question of the night, uh, of the morning, the only question was, are you honoring God with your wealth? How do you know? Well, you remember it all belongs to him. You give your first and your best." For some of us, we haven't done that yet. We'll just start. You ask God, what do you want me to give? And you start and you grow from there in faith. And those of you who are giving, you take another step in faith. The third thing you do is we remember to give generously from a grateful heart, a cheerful heart. And finally, we remember that it's all about loving God more than money. Let's pray. And Lord, that's our desire, to love you to find our satisfaction in you alone. And so grow that in my heart. Grow that in your people's heart as we seek to be a place that's bringing wonderful changes in people's lives all to your honor and glory. Lord, we do want to honor you with our wealth, individually, collectively. Help us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.